oh boy, it feels so good to be able to finally get out and share what I've been going through with somebody. You know, talk to a professional who's used to listening to people. I'm not sleeping well and my back's been giving me a bit of trouble. It's just so great to be able to come here today. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I appreciate you seeing me. Uh, sir, so was that a strawberry or vanilla milkshake that you wanted with your number four supersized combo? You're holding up the line, sir. Uh, I suppose strawberry. If there was only a better way to access healthcare. Well, that's what we're talking about today. Virtual healthcare. This is the Insights at Work podcast. Thank you, sir. Please drive forward to the second window. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Insights at Work podcast, the podcast that looks at what's happening in the HR world, takes your questions and studies the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. Virtual medicine isn't new, but given what we've all experienced over the past 18 months, it's probably now more relevant than ever. And to share her insights about why it's so important to HR professionals, business owners, and, well, anyone who uses healthcare, we're joined by Christy Prada, Vice President of Business Development with Maple, Canada's leading virtual care provider. Welcome to the Insights at Work podcast, Christy. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Christy, I've really been looking forward to this conversation, and it's because I'm a big fan of market disruptors. Now, we've seen them take hold across so many industries, and we're seeing market disruption right now in healthcare. So why don't we start with the basics? Can you give the listeners and I a brief overview about what virtual healthcare is all about? For sure. Yeah. Happy to, Jeff. And the way we define virtual care is really just any interaction between a patient and some kind of healthcare provider happening uh, digitally, right? So over an application, over um, you know video, voice, um, or text message. Um, historically, that would probably include what used to be called telemedicine, where it was just happening good old fashioned over the phone. And now that's evolved as our digital technology and apps and um, you know video capability has evolved. So, you know, virtual care broadly is is that kind of all encompassing term for patients interacting with healthcare providers in a digital environment. For my family, we were introduced to virtual care as a result of the pandemic, and it's been great. I bet that because of the pandemic, more and more HR professionals are taking a serious look at virtual healthcare. So tell me this, from a benefits perspective, how have employee needs changed over the last 18 months? And how have HR professionals responded to those changes in needs? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's interesting. Certainly, as you've said, the sales environment for for selling virtual care and our platform has changed drastically and demand has ramped up you know, hugely um, before the pandemic, you saw, you know, less than 9% of companies that had implemented virtual care. ADP was actually one of them who'd implemented for their employees before the pandemic. But there were a few early adopters, but not, um, you know, it wasn't kind of broad sweeping across the industry. So, you know, the types of conversations um, and the way that employers were looking for benefits were a bit different, right? They were still trying to understand what virtual care might mean. Some of them hadn't necessarily heard of it. Um, there were still lots of conversations happening about, you know, how to take benefits packages to the next level, how to digitize. But I don't think there'd been a ton of traction, um, or at least um, 
you know, kind of lived experience with these digital tools and the pandemic has certainly amped that up. So I don't think, you know, the concepts and themes um, and needs have changed that drastically. Um, what's changed is the tools available to meet those needs and the willingness and openness of employers, uh, patients, you know, employees and, and Canadians to embrace and try out virtual care. You know, now we're in an environment where virtual care isn't just a nice to have or an extra. It's something that every organization has been thinking about. You know, many have implemented you know, either a temporary solution or a long term solution, maybe through their insurer, maybe directly with a virtual care provider. And they're now thinking about how to enhance and add more to that. Right. How do we grow it? How do we incorporate things like mental health and wellness and broaden the tools available within that digital um, health suite of services to employees? Christy, as I mentioned before, it's been great for my family and even for my team members. They sing its praises. One of my team members loves it because she's got two young boys who they might have the sniffles or they're coughing late at night or she might need to refill a prescription written out for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of things that, you know, maybe don't necessarily warrant going in for an in-person visit. So it's great to have a tool to supplement or complement that coverage. And as you mentioned, you know, if you can't get in to see your family doctor same day and it is urgent, having a, an approach or a mechanism to um, meet those needs urgently. Our mandate is all about complementing, you know, the existing health services. We never want to replace the relationship with the family doctor, right? We're very big proponents that everybody should have a family physician for themselves and their family. This is meant to complement and enhance and add. So the example I always give is, you know, someone wakes up with, you know, an eye infection, can't get into their family doc same day. Their options used to be just go to the emergency department or try to find a walk-in, right? You're not necessarily going to get into your family doctor each day. But with Maple, they're able to log in, talk to a GP right away, um, get a prescription if needed, have it sent to their local pharmacy, and they can share their records directly with that family physician as well. The whole experience is managed and owned by the patient. They can do it in a way that fits in with their, their day and their schedule. And that's become even more critical, right? Working parents, for instance, were already busy going into the pandemic. And then now you have the new environment where home and work is, you know, the lines are really blurring. Yeah, absolutely. The lines are really blurring. It's harder to get away from work. It's harder to get in to see your family physician on the same day. Now, Christy, I've seen two great studies. The first was conducted by Abacus Data in May of 2020, and it found that almost half of all Canadians who have accessed virtual healthcare were satisfied with it. Now, the second survey showed that almost half of Canadians who had the opportunity to use virtual healthcare since the pandemic began, they actually prefer the virtual method as a first point of contact with their doctor versus going to see them in person. So it sounds like virtual healthcare is the wave of the future. But before we get to the benefits, what are the common misconceptions that you typically hear about virtual healthcare? Yeah, there's lots. I think, you know, some of the common misconceptions are that you can't effectively diagnose or, you know, even, even screen for certain health conditions over virtual um, when the reality is there's a lot of things that can be done. Now you have high resolution cameras on phones that can take very good images and share those with the physician um, that can record them and store them in your medical record to share back with other doctors. Um, and if you think about it, when you go into the emergency room or to a walk-in clinic, 
there's a very small percentage of the time that the doctor is actually laying hands on you. The majority of that time is a discussion of symptoms as well as medical history. Yeah, that's true. Most of the time it really is about a conversation between my family physician and me. The benefit that virtual care can actually bring is having all those records in one place, right? So if you go to the walk-in clinic and you go to one walk-in clinic and then you go to another one, those different walk-in clinics don't have your medical history in one place. Whereas if you're using an app like Maple and coming in for those ad hoc things, you're building up a medical record online. Um, well, that obviously can be shared with your family doctor and contribute to that medical record too. But then it means that any doctor you see on that platform actually has a view into your medical history and they're able to effectively, safely, and accurately diagnose. The reality is too that doctors won't diagnose if they don't feel that they're able to appropriately give that. So there's a lot of safety um, mechanisms built into the, the the technology itself to ensure that doctors are empowered with the right uh, resources to make decisions. Patients have the ability to upload and share information uh, to ensure they can get that accurate diagnosis. So it, it's very, very interesting um, to consider, you know, really the new wave of what's possible in a virtual environment. Not only can things safely and effectively be diagnosed, but in some cases having access to more data, more types of data, could even enhance the diagnostic capability. Okay, so virtual healthcare works because many times the physician doesn't really need to lay hands on the patient and an electronic medical record is created on the platform that can be shared with the employee's family physician as well as any other healthcare providers on the platform. Cool. Christy, what technology does the employee need to support a platform like yours? It's a really good question. So, um, you know, most virtual care companies all have their own applications. We've developed our own application in-house. Um, everything was built from the ground up, um, informed by physicians and patients. So we use real live patient focus groups to understand the user experience that they wanted. We worked with live physician groups to understand, you know, what's the experience they need? How do we create an application that makes it easy for them to practice, um, makes it easy for them to issue prescriptions, make it, you know, easier than those clunky systems that they practice in every day in their physician offices. So we've used very much a, a consumer design principle to make sure that this has you know, very easy and usable um, look and feel compared to other commercial apps like banking apps or social media apps even, right? Using a lot of inspiration from those apps that people use every single day. So it's a simple application, can be downloaded on your phone, you can also access it on the web. Um, and you log in and click a button and, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you're talking to a physician or another provider that you choose literally within minutes. So, and I think we've really been able to achieve that fine balance of usability um, while also allowing both the patient and provider to focus on that, that interaction that they're having and get the most out of it. Christy, privacy and security is always a major concern, especially when it comes to one's medical record. Now, what should the HR professional know about the security and privacy safeguards that are in place for virtual healthcare platforms? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's always going to be paying attention to security, and that's very, very important in this day and age. Um, I always like to say our application is um, has privacy by design built into it. So we didn't, you know, build the application and then say, okay, great. Now, how do we need to fit this into privacy regulations um, in Canada? We actually built everything in it from the ground up, not only based on the experience we wanted to deliver, but to ensure that how the data is collected, where it's stored, how it's processed, how it's um, shared between patients and providers, who can access it, who owns it, who has a custodianship over it, 
all of that was built with privacy regulation um, in mind. And there's two types of privacy regulations you need to be considering, right? You need to be considering general internet security and privacy regulations around how do you keep an application safe? How do you do things like two-factor authentication, password security, and all those you know, simple things that, that, that are, are critical and kind of a core component of any type of app you use on your phone. And then there's the added layer of healthcare privacy laws, which in Canada are extremely stringent for very good reason. Um, every province has different interpretations of those laws. So very, very critical that a, any healthcare application that a patient is using, um, that they know, you know, that they've gone through the ringer and, and addressed all of those. And we've taken great caution and care to ensure all of that's addressed. I think if there's ever any concerns anyone has about that, most organizations will publish a privacy policy in terms of use that detail all of that. So I would encourage people if they're using any virtual care application to go through and review those. Um, and if they're not, you know, substantial enough or built out enough, then there might be a flag that there could be something amiss there. Christy, what if I'm having a heart attack or something that may require emergency medical attention and I log into the app? Sure, I should have probably called 911, but indulge me. What would happen? I'll say a secret benefit of, of Maple is that we have a physician-led triage model where when you log in, in less than five minutes, you're going to have a physician, a real live physician, review your request. And that is huge for patient safety because if you have that physician review your request in five minutes, they can flag if you're having a medical emergency and tell you that you need to go to the ER, right? So the drawback might be that we can't solve everything, but I think the answer is that we shouldn't, right? Um, and it's always about getting the patient the right way to get directed to the right provider uh, in the right location and at the right time. Christy, when putting together a business case for virtual care or adding it onto your EAP, what are the benefits that the HR professional should be looking at? You know what? I think I would like to break that down into kind of two groups because I always think about, you know, the benefits to the employer and the benefits to the employee. I think the benefits to employee are, you know, almost too easy to spell out, right? It, it's easy. It gives you a way to access your family. It can be a huge time saver. It can be a great way to get another opinion on something. It can be a great way to get something dealt with right away before it becomes a more exacerbated health issue. Um, just the benefits are countless to, to any you know Canadian, um, regardless of family status, gender, age, anything, right? It's something that anyone can use and can benefit from. From the employer's perspective is where it gets really interesting because I think a lot of people don't, don't fully grasp the true impact that an employer can have on their employees' lives by offering something like this. Um, you know, first there's obviously you know, the importance of making sure that you're putting out a benefit package that employees use and love. Um, employers do that for many reasons. You know, there's certainly the reason of, you know, wanting to keep your employees happy and engaged and feel like their employer is treating them well and cares about their health. So that's certainly a huge check mark. There's also ROI benefits for the employer, because if you think about it in terms of time lost or time saved, that's where you really start to unlock um, a return on investment. There's a theme called presenteeism and, and absenteeism are talked about a lot in the HR world. And you think about time people spend away from work, this type of a tool gives you a medium to prevent unnecessary absences. I like to say unnecessary because there are some that are necessary, right? You don't wanna prevent people from taking sick days when they need it, but there are sick days that are used up by sitting in a doctor's office for five hours or sitting in an emergency room for 12 hours overnight and then they miss the next day at work. Those types of things can be prevented very safely and effectively with virtual care. 
not only improves the employee experience, but gives the employer some return on investment from that employee being able to be at their desk the next day. Presenteeism is another huge theme. Goes along with absenteeism, but it's a little bit more um, conceptual, I'll say, or harder to kind of pinpoint the exact dollars. But there's lots of times when employees will spend time at work not fully being present in their day-to-day lives because they're stressed about, you know, when I'm going to pick up the kids to go to this doctor's appointment, or you have a sick kid at home and you need to take time off, or you have a health issue that you haven't been able to address and it's kind of hanging over you. Those types of things, they take away from the employee's attention and focus at work. So there's tons and tons of benefits from being able to also help employees have a means to do that. You know, in addition to kind of some of the things that we do to make the HR providers experience really great in terms of rolling out a service like this. One of the things we hear all the time is just, you know, I've had so many employees reach out and thank me for this service. And I think HR teams aren't always used to being thanked for things, right? They have to deal with a lot of, you know, risk management and complaints and issues. And it's quite refreshing to have employees, you know, reaching out and sending them thank you notes and telling them that this was a lifesaver and that they're so appreciative. That's a really nice benefit as well. Okay, here's an interesting stat from our crack team of researchers of the Insight at Work podcast. According to the Canadian Medical Association, interest in virtual healthcare for mental health services is highest among younger Canadians between the ages of 18 to 34. Now, just over 50% are likely to use the service to consult mental health practitioners over video or audio. I think it's important for employers to recognize this preference among the younger workforce. Now, we all know that mental health is one of our biggest HR concerns right now. Christy, how does this fit into the workplace and how can virtual care support it? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're constantly thinking about new services and capabilities to add to broaden that suite of tools, we'll say, available to help employers um, better serve their employees. We've had mental health on the platform for a number of years as well. And now we're investing more behind that user experience around mental health because we're realizing employees and employers are asking for this as a solution. One of the things that we offer is on demand as well as booked visits to mental health therapists, for instance. So um, that means that an employee can come onto the Maple app and in less than 12 hours have had a full counseling session with a uh, mental health therapist. They can also do ongoing bookings. So if you have someone that you know hasn't necessarily reached out or asked for help yet, but wants to talk to somebody today, they can log into the app, get matched with someone. And if they click and have a good experience, then they can go on and book recurring visits with that patient. So the great thing about this is not only that, you know, it gives employees a way to safely and almost I'll say anonymously, right, try out mental health in a non-intimidating way, right? A lot less intimidating to log on to an app and access mental health opposed to trying to go and find someone in book and go in person. Um, it's a great kind of gateway into um, a mental health journey. I think we're only scraping the surface with this. We have some new product features that are coming out later this year to really enhance and grow our mental health capabilities. We've recently formed a partnership with a company called Headspace, where that's a service that can be made available to employees as well. So we're continuing to invest really heavily behind um, mental health as a core focus. I think it's about not just having those services to make employees, um, you know, aware that they can get treatment, but how do you, how do you push that um, interaction around mental health to earlier um, in the journey, right? How do you help catch mental health issues before 
they um, come up, right? How do you help give employees tools and resources to manage anxiety, to manage stress, to keep them engaged, to keep them coming back? And those are the types of things that we're looking at and investing in. You know, meditation is one of many. Um, there's, you know, ways you can design content and other engagement tools to broaden um, engagement and just awareness around talking about and engaging in mental health. And I think digital is a great way to get the ball rolling on some of those really difficult conversations. Christy, what's the level of qualifications that patients are having those difficult conversations with? So it depends. Um, primarily, we have um, psychotherapists and MSWs and RSWs on the platform. Um, that's what's most broadly available because that's what's been broadly covered by most health plans, right? So if you go onto your, your health benefits, most health benefits cover a visit with an MSW or an RSW. So we always like to make sure that what we're making available is something that can be covered by benefits if possible. Um, and if not, then the employer can look to invest in other resources or enhance coverage. Um, we do have, you know, other resources available as well. Um, you know, psychiatry is something that happens sometimes a bit more behind the scenes where a physician or a, an MSW or RSW may consult with our psychiatrist behind the scenes to make sure that they're, you know, informing that treatment plan. And again, you know, as I alluded to earlier, there's different investments we're making to further enhance the level and depth of, of clinical care um, that we're able to provide and really address a broader spectrum of treatment for people with mental health conditions, because we know they're very personal and they're very unique. And what works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for another person. So it's important to have a variety of different providers, as well as, um, you know, tools and resources available to support those employees. Now, talking about the employees and talking about coverage, I think that's really important because one of the first things employees think about when it comes to mental health benefits is, is this covered by my plan? Yeah, that's what we've done. And we also need our care concierge to help with that too. So one of the key things to know about a care concierge and the role that they can play is we equip our care concierges with information about the employee's health benefit package. So for instance, at ADP, they know all the information about the ADP benefit package. So if an ADP employee comes in to talk to the care concierge and wants to know if one of the services on Maple is covered through their health benefits, um, our team can help them navigate that. Christy, are there any industries that are particularly suited, best suited for virtual healthcare? You know, it's interesting because early on, so I was, I was one of the early employees at Maple, and early on, we had a lot of hypotheses about what types of companies, you know, would gravitate and which ones would, you know, really embrace virtual care the most. There were certainly some early adopters that, you know, make sense. Um, we saw a lot of professional services firms being early adopters, um, as with, you know, companies that had employees in rural and remote locations. Um, what we've actually seen is a shift, which is, you know, the recognition that there's lots of different employee contexts where this makes sense, right? It makes sense for someone in a rural location who can't get into their doctor or there isn't enough health resources in those regions. Virtual care is a no-brainer. It's actually also very critical in, in, you know, downtown busy urban centers or where you have professionals that are working, you know, much more than nine to five and can't get in to see their physician during the day. So very, very key service for professionals working in urban locations as well. Coming out of the pandemic, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this has moved from being something that just forward thinking employers are thinking about to something that everybody's realizing there's a fit for this in my organization. And there's a bit of a different reason at every organization as to why um, it just now comes down to which model is best, right? 
um, and what's the best method of procurement and who's the best partner to deliver on my employees' needs. So Christy, like so many projects, it comes down to dollars and cents. What's the business model? Is it a pay-per-employee cost? Yeah, so the typical model, it's pretty straightforward. Usually it's just a per-employee per-month fee um, to cover the entire population of your workforce, and that fee will vary. Um, There's a number of factors that could change that fee, obviously depending on the virtual care provider, right? Different providers have different models, so the different cost structures associated with those. And then it comes down to what are the services you're offering, right? If you're going to be offering primary care or if you want to offer primary care and mental health or if you have other types of needs that you want to bucket in. Um, So it really just comes down to that mix of services. But yeah, we like to try to keep it really straightforward. All of our services include full coverage for the whole family, right? You can't do that anymore these days where you're just focused on the employee. You have to offer something that meets the needs of the whole family. So we like to keep it simple. It's a per employee per month fee and gives you know, full access to the employee and their family members to our services. Okay, Christy, if I'm an HR professional and I'm interested in bringing on a virtual healthcare provider, what's the next step? That's a really good question. I mean, I think the biggest thing is you need to get that executive level support and alignment that virtual and digital is the direction you're heading in. Um, Often, I find it's very compelling if you can find a way to tie this into other business initiatives, right? And think about how can offering people virtual care be something that helps us, you know, achieve our mandate. I know a lot of HR professionals think about how benefits help, um, you know, to drive success and productivity. So framing it in that way and having an understanding of the benefits and how this can, um, you know, really address and kind of support Um, a corporate mandate, um, you know, and and a great one to focus on now is return to work, right? How do we support our employees with the return to work and what the new normal will be? We may have employees who are coming into the office full time, we may have employees who've continued to have to work in, you know, plants or physical settings throughout the pandemic, we may have people who are returning to a more hybrid work environment. And a tool like this is the perfect tool to help facilitate that return to work Um, make people feel supported both from a physical health perspective and from a mental health perspective uh, in an integrated way. I think that's the best kind of opening angle. Um, And then it's work with the provider. So, you know, we have a team that we um, is very trained and skilled at helping HR professionals navigate these types of conversations, equipping them with the right data points around, um, you know, engagement, around utilization, around ROI. Uh, my team spends a ton of time working with HR professionals to help them build that business case to take it through their organization because, you know, it's got to be good for the employees, but it's got to be good for the business too. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be good for the business and for the employee. Do you have any great stories where it is uh, great for the employee and great for the business? I heard one really great story of someone who was about to board a flight from Ottawa to Toronto. Um now, this was earlier on before the pandemic, but I thought it was a great story because they were, you know, starting to feel sick and they actually had run out of a prescription that they had, um, but they didn't want to cancel their flights. They did a maple visit while they were in Ottawa and sent the prescription to a pharmacy in Toronto. So when they landed, they were able to pick up the prescription in Toronto. So what a great application of, you know, this saved them time. It saved them from having to cancel their flight or cancel their whole work trip. Um, it allowed them to get their needs taken care of. And at the end of that, you know, 45 minute flight, they were able to get their prescription. So, you know, what a great example of of this saving time for the employee as well as the employer. One of the neat things that we try to do is share some of those feedback and those stories back with the employer. Um, 
So at the end of each visit, there's the opportunity to rate the visit out of five stars. We have an average star rating of 4.9 out of five stars, which is pretty amazing. That is amazing, Christy. That's similar to what our Google rating is for the Insights at Work podcast. Yeah, so we're we're pretty aligned, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're aligned. And talking about alignment, Christy, I have taken a lot of great notes here today. But is there anything impactful that you'd like to share that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot when you're considering a virtual care vendor. And I think the advice that I would give or, or the parting thoughts I would want to highlight are, you know, when you think about um, you know, implementing virtual care, there's a piece of getting the organization on board. But we recognize that a program is only as good as how it's implemented. We have out-of-the-box communication toolkits where we can customize all of those. We have a lot of experience in how do you articulate and communicate a benefit like this at work? How do you streamline your communications around it? How do you integrate the messaging on Maple into other um, benefit communication you have throughout the year? Um, and how do you generate ongoing engagement in the program? The other big piece, um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of tout ADP a little bit here, we have an integration with uh, ADP's payroll um, system, which allows us to work with ADP clients to seamlessly implement Maple. So I think that's a huge value add in the organization, in the industry, where we're one of the only, if not the only one that's integrated with um, a payroll coordinator um, or payroll services, which makes it very, very easy for HR teams or you know, employers that work with ADP to be able to just turn on Maple and not have to deal with things like eligibility management and files and all of that. Very seamless, very integrated, and I think it's a huge value add and very proud to be partnered with ADP on that offering. Well, it's not often that we have partners come on the podcast. And as I mentioned earlier, I am a big fan of virtual care. Now, let's get on to one of my favorite parts of the podcast, where we get to know just a little more about you. Christy, are you ready to tell us your five favorite things? My top five favorite things. Oh, okay. I see. Got it. Yes, I'm ready. Okay, Christy, let's start with number one. What is your favorite tool that helps you get work done? My calendar. I could not live without my calendar. If an activity or a meeting is not in my calendar, it doesn't happen. Okay, makes sense. What is your favorite resource to go to for industry information? I go to LinkedIn a lot because I like to get information from different parts of industry, right? And in, in the position that I'm in, I'm in, you know, work in health benefits, but also in business development. So I like to get insights from you know, HR professionals and those that I follow in my network there, you know, Canadian reporter, Canadian HR reporter and all those different you know agencies that you can follow. But I also like to get insights from other sales professionals, business development and, and, and then healthcare more broadly. So I find LinkedIn's good because it pulls from different people in your network. So it's kind of a cheating answer, but that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. Okay, good answer. LinkedIn's a valuable resource. Christy, what's the first concert you ever attended? First concert I ever attended. I think it was actually Real Big Fish. I saw Real Big Fish at the Opera House in Toronto when I was in grade nine. That may date me a little bit. <laughs> no, not at all. Christy, what's your favorite concert that you've ever oh, attended? That's a tough one. I would have to say, oh, can I pass? I don't have an answer for this one. I don't know. I don't know my answer. Let me think. Best concert. I feel like I haven't been to a concert in so long, Jeff. It's like hard to remember even. Um, best concert. Okay. 
I have my best concert. My best concert I ever went to was um, seeing the Beyonce and Jay-Z on the run tour. My husband took me for our anniversary one year and it was an amazing concert. And that's an amazing answer. Certainly worth waiting for. Christy, last question. What is your favorite piece of advice that you give to young professionals just starting out? Be curious and be passionate. I think that you can get a long way in life if you have an aptitude for learning and you find something that you're really passionate about. The rest of it can just fall into place. Excellent advice, Christy. It has been just an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. I really enjoyed our talk and thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Really enjoyed the conversation. And this is the part of the podcast where I thank everyone for listening in. I know it's tough to find time to carve out for thought leadership, and I appreciate you, the listener, for making the time for us. Anything we can do to help ourselves get better at something is time well spent. On our next episode, we'll be talking with more HR experts about today's most important HR issues. I'm Jeff Livingston. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be kind. We'll see you soon on our next episode of ADP's Insights at Work.